God often reveals his truth to us, whether it is about himself, us, or the relationships therein, through the natural world. This is revealed to us by Paul in Romans 1, 19-20, which says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This is also true for man-made things such as film, and I would like to show how he does just that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Welcome back to Oh How Marvelous, episode 15, and today we will be talking about Captain America Civil War. Guys, it is finally here. I am so excited to talk about Captain America Civil War. And now we get to start phase three. So here goes phase three, yo. I, oof, I just couldn't wait to get here, but here we are. So let's get to it. There is most certainly a lot to talk about within this film. Um, but first, as always, I gotta talk about my theater experience with seeing the film. Now, I, I don't exactly... I vaguely remember my experience in theaters seeing Civil War. Um, I remember it was, I was really anticipating this film. Uh, mainly because... A, it's Captain America, but B, because like the Winter Soldier was so good, and um, I was excited to see what was going on in the future from Age of Ultron. So yeah, I was very much looking forward to this movie. Um, now, my reactions were like, this movie was awesome. <laughs> I loved this movie. Um, it made me love Captain America so much more, and I'll get into that um, most certainly Um later on in the show, but I wanted to talk about Black Panther and Spider-Man for a second here, because this is both of those characters' MCU debut, and they did it so well. They, it was very organic, and just overall pretty well done, uh, but man, I, I think it was interesting that they decided to introduce the person rather than the hero first. Um, we got to see T'Challa before we got to see Black Panther. We got to see Peter before we got to see Spider-Man. Um, and I think that was a really smart move so that we as an audience would learn to fall in love with the person first and then the hero. Um, and I love that. But Spider-Man coming in, pulling Captain America's shield, that was a phenomenal entrance for Spider-Man. And then uh, in Chasing Winter Soldier, you see the shadow come in on the roof. Oh, what an entrance for Black Panther. That was awesome. And I'll get more into that, those two scenes later on. Because, I mean, who can't talk about the action sequences in this movie? It is awesome. There were some people who, um, when I was listening to other podcasts and hearing about other people's initial reactions, they uh, got excited when they saw the the uh, word queens 
come on screen. And I didn't know what that really meant. Like, I knew Spider-Man was from Queens, but, like, eh. But it didn't get me until you see this young man and you hear their name, Aunt May. And you're like, wait a second, it's Peter Parker. <laughs> that got me super excited in theaters. Um, and then, obviously, the Spider-Man entrance. Oh, my gosh, the suit is amazing. Oh, they did it so well. And then having Ant-Man uh, being Team Cap's little secret weapon was awesome. Um, I like how both sides decided they needed a secret weapon. And they happened to be heroes named after bugs. So that's funny. But <laughs> I, I love that dynamic there. It was awesome. But also, if you think about it, the two post-credit scenes, well, the mid-credit and post-credit scenes had to do with Black Panther and Spider-Man. So I think that's pretty cool um, that they set up pretty well for their future within the MCU as well. Um, now, uh, there's a lot to like about this film. So I think I am going to get into my dislikes here uh, just for a quick second. Um, not too long. They're just nitpicks really anyway. Um, the first thing is... I did not like when secret not Secretary Ross, Agent Ross for the CIA, played by Bilbo Baggins himself, Martin Freeman. Uh, he, when uh, right after Cap, Sam, and Bucky are arrested, they are brought in to the government facility, and Martin Freeman's character, Agent Ross, uh, tells Cap that Bucky. Uh, we'll get a psychological eval, much like what should happen to Steve and Sam. And uh, I, I hated that line because there's... In what world do you think that, given the situation, that Steve and Sam need a psychological evaluation? No, that's not what needs to happen. Uh, I hated that. Um, a little nitpick, though, still. Um, the next thing was... Uh, just a little question that I, I think there's some sort of like minor detail that's overlooked that could have been addressed better. Um, but how did the other agents not get informed of who would evaluate Bucky and what he looked like? Um, how did they not know that Zemo wasn't supposed to be the guy to come to evaluate Bucky? I think that they should have at least had seen a picture of the guy and gotten a name. Um, but it seems that that wasn't a thing because the guy that was supposed to evaluate Bucky um, definitely looked like an older gentleman, like a middle-aged dude. Um, and so it just didn't seem like that would happen uh, for security reasons, of course. My next um, gripe about this film is I don't understand what makes Wanda switch sides so easily in the scene where Hawkeye is fighting Vision. She seems to be going back and forth real easily, and I, I don't understand the motivations behind that. So, if you're listening and you know, please let me know, because I've tried to think about it for a while, and it just isn't clicking for me. I, I can't seem to figure it out. And my last gripe about this film is I really don't understand why Steve kissed Sharon Carter like they had just come 
from Peggy's funeral where she revealed herself to be Peggy's niece. Um, it makes no sense to me. I feel like Tony, not Tony, wow, Steve. I feel like Steve would want to honor uh, his love for Peggy um, and not take his niece, her her niece as a love interest. Like that, that just feels weird, especially given what we have in Endgame. Um, yeah, I, like at the time I was for it, cool, go cap, but, um, and I do love the reaction that he gets out of, uh, Bucky and Sam for that, (laughs) his reaction to their reaction is great, but yeah, it just didn't need to happen, I get that they were kind of setting it up in Winter Soldier between, uh, Nats trying to help him with his romantic life, but um, it just, it didn't need to happen. Like, any other person that's literally just not related to Peggy Carter could have worked. That's all I have to say there. Um, but that's all my dislikes, and from here on out, it just goes uphill from here. So, let's just talk about the awesomeness that is this film now. So, I'll give things that I like, and then I'll just give some general thoughts. Um, and the things that I like will include my favorites list. So, my favorite character, of course, was Steve Rogers for so many reasons, and I will get into that later. So, my favorite scene is when Steve and Bucky fight Tony at the end in Siberia after Zemo reveals to the three, well, to Tony really, that Bucky was the one who killed Tony's parents. And uh, we'll really get in depth with that scene, both biblically and just how that works thematically, whatever. Um, Yeah, we'll talk about that later. And that is certainly my favorite scene. Honorary mention scenes, um, honorable mentions, should I say. Uh, First of all is the Accords debate scene where it's right after Ross presents the Sokovia Accords to the Avengers and they're sitting in the living room kitchen area debating um, about the merits of the Sokovia Accords. And I I just love it because like you, you can see who's already taking what side. Um, another scene that I love is when Steve and Tony are talking in that office. And Tony's really trying hard to get Steve to sign the Accords with that pen... Um, from, I think, the World War II era, um, which is the era that Cap came from, so it's very fitting. But, um, yeah, I love that scene. It, it, it just shows why Steve doesn't want to sign, and it shows that um, Tony really does value Steve being on the team. Um, but uh, I love that Cap just stands for what he believes in here. And the last honorable mention scene, of course, you got to mention the airport fight scene. Like, how awesome is that? Uh, You get to see Ant-Man fight alongside the Avengers, first of all, and then Spider-Man as well. And uh, it's really cool just to see the Avengers take each other on um, and really not just like in a training exercise, but like you could tell that they're really in it Um, and they're fighting each other like they wouldn't before. Um, so I really love that. 
Now, there were a whole lot of good quotes in this movie. Um, I actually came up with like a list of like 15 of them. And so I thought I should narrow it down some more. So I, I kind of narrowed it down to 12. Yeah, I know that's not narrowing it down a whole lot. Um, but here goes. Um, the first one comes from King T'Chaka of Wakanda. And uh, it's when Steve is watching the news on the TV leading up to the Sokovia Accords meeting with the United Nations. And King T'Chaka says, Victory at the expense of the innocent is no victory at all. I love that line. Um, I think there's good thought-provoking wisdom there. Um, So that's why I like that. Um, This next quote comes from Steve in that very next scene um, where he turns off the TV right after that and here's the TV in Wanda's room and he walks over to her room and they start talking and uh, Steve says we try to save as many people as we can sometimes that doesn't mean everybody and I I think that kind of speaks directly to what he just saw King T'Chaka saying um, with victory at the expense of the innocent is no victory at all um i think something that king t'chaka doesn't really understand here is that you can't really save everybody but you got to do something um that that's the price of the fight um that's what happens in war um like there's always going to be sacrifice um collateral is an unfortunate truth of life when fighting evil um you you can't avoid collateral you can you can try to avoid as much of it as possible but you can't avoid the thing entirely with few exceptions but to expect to be able to avoid collateral at all times is very much unrealistic and that's such a high standard that it's impossible the next quote uh comes from vision in the scene where they're debating the merits of the Accords. And he says that our very strength invites challenge. Challenge incites conflict. Uh, I love the wisdom in there that wisdom that Vision gave. Um, the first time I saw this movie, it made me think, well, not the first time, maybe the, like the second or third time after it had already come out on DVD or something. It made me really think about the events within the MCU. Um, you really do have this challenge brought forth of the Avengers. Um, Earth wasn't really within the scope of people from outside of Earth. It it seemed to be so insignificant. It was displayed in the Avengers where Thanos thought, oh, I could take over Earth. Easy. Um, uh, or not Thanos, but uh, Loki. Um, but the other um, Thanos's little assistant guy um, really had a low view of Earth. Like they, He didn't see that there could be a challenge for them. And yet we had the Avengers that showed up. And so... Um, Then when they defeat Loki, um, that creates this reputation that Earth is ready to defend itself. And so that new reputation brought Earth 
back onto like the universal stage where they're ready to um, defend themselves well against outside forces. Um, and so, yeah, that brought forth um, challenges from other worlds. Um, and it brought kind of Ultron kind of boosted that, honestly. But it also foreshadows to Infinity War, if you really think about it, um, during Infinity War, there were, let's see, the Mind Stone, the Time Stone. I think there were two Infinity Stones on Earth during Infinity War. So, um, like, that's pretty significant. So, this next quote comes from Sam after he, T'Challa... Um, Bucky and Steve are arrested and they're in the transport vehicle <laughs> and uh, Sam says dude shows up dressed like a cat and you don't want to know more uh, I think that's funny coming from a man that dresses like a bird but yeah I'll get more into that later um, I think it's pretty funny uh, I love Sam he's hilarious um, later on in the film uh, right after Zemo first makes Bucky comply. There's this quote um, from from Tony Stark, um, where Natasha asks him, "Do you have a suit?" And he says, uh, "Sure do. It's a lovely Tom. It's a lovely Tom Ford three-piece, two-button. I'm an active-duty non-combatant." I I love the pun there with the suit. Um, uh, also. Tony Stark's wits are like, it's Tony Stark. He's going to be witty. He's going to be quippy. Uh, it's just very Tony Stark of him. Uh, and later on, uh, towards the end of the scene where Vision and Hawkeye are fighting, um, and I'll get more into that later, there's a moment where Wanda tells Vision, I can't control their fear only my own and I love that line and I'll get more into that in the biblical themes portion later on now there's a moment where Scott Lang is first meeting Team Cap and uh, <laughs> he's so flabbergasted I, I love this scene too um, he's so flabbergasted starstruck he's such a big Captain America fanboy and uh, I like when he says thanks for thinking of me <laughs> I like how he just casually just mixes up his words. Uh, very Scott Lang. It's nice. It's a really nice touch there. Uh, I I wonder if that's an ad lib by Paul Rudd there. Or maybe he genuinely got mixed up with his words. And the original script did say, Think, thanks for thinking of me. Um, <laughs> I almost mixed it up myself. Um, and I love that. Now, later on in the airport fight scene, um, you have, right before they start fighting, um, Tony and Steve are talking to each other. And Tony is just trying earnestly to get Steve to sign the Sokovia Accords. And um, he's basically saying to Steve that you're tearing the Avengers apart. And Steve says, you did that when you signed. Um, I love that from Steve. Um because I honestly don't know what Steve was thinking um, because I guess he was just so adamantly about his side of the argument but um, 
This next quote um, comes from Spider-Man, actually. Uh, It's when he is fighting Bucky and Sam, uh, or should I say Winter Soldier and Falcon, and uh, Bucky goes to punch him, and Spider-Man just grabs the, the fist, and you see the look of surprise on Bucky's face, and all Peter can say is, you have a metal arm? That's awesome, dude. <laughs> I love that. Peter Parker here is actually portrayed as a teenager. It's great. Um, it's Honestly, me as a teenager, if I were in his position, I would probably have the same exact reaction. <laughs> uh, I love Peter Parker here. Um, this next quote comes from Natasha Romanoff, and somehow he and... Or she and Stark are right back in New York real quick. Uh, Timeline doesn't seem to make sense here. But anyways, another little nitpick that I have. Um, She is talking to Tony. And Tony's like, uh, Steve is gone, whatever. Uh, And I love that Natasha is finally willing to stand up to Tony and says, are you incapable of letting go of your ego for one second? Uh, she doesn't say that exact quote. She uses another word to describe second, but I'm not going to use it. Um, but I, I love that she's able to stand up to Tony there. Um, this next one comes from the scene with the Stanley cameo, which I'll talk about later more in detail. Um, it, comes from <laughs> it comes from Rhodes, and I think this is like one of his, his best humor line uh it says table for one mr stink please buy the bathroom and i love that joke uh it's honestly a dad joke but i love dad jokes so come at me um <laughs> and I, I just love it um and this last honorary me- honorable mention quote comes from t'challa in the post credit scene with him and steve where he says Your friend and my father were both victims. If I can help one of them find peace. And he doesn't finish the sentence, but I love that T'Challa, first of all, kind of came to find perspective within the whole situation and that he is willing to help Bucky out. Um, And I I love his um, heart in this moment here because he just wants to help people. And he's a very humble king as he um, continues to display in Black Panther and in Infinity War uh, and even a little bit in Endgame. I I just love that. Um, I I can't wait to get to talk about T'Challa more within the MCU now that he's here, finally. Um, I love it. So this brings us to my favorite quote, and it is, at the funeral for Peggy Carter. Um, This is the moment where we see it is revealed that Sharon is Peggy's um, niece. Um, This is the same agent that was Steve's um, protection detail undercover as a nurse um, as his neighbor as well. And she is giving a eulogy to Peggy Carter and she talks about how much she looked up to her aunt and she talks about 
asking Peggy about how she managed to master espionage and diplomacy in a time where no one wanted to see a woman succeed at either. And Peggy um, tells her this line. And she said, compromise where you can. But where you can't, don't. Even if everyone is telling you that something wrong is something right. Even if the whole world is telling you to move, it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye and say no. You move. Now, I really love this line. Um, first of all, try to imagine Peggy Carter um, in her prime. Uh, Peggy Carter in World War II saying this. Uh, I, I I can easily imagine her giving that speech and it actually makes it kind of more majestic if you think about it uh, to hear it from Haley Atwell's voice um, and I love it um, and this is one of those lines where I'll get into it later but like Tony and Steve each have these things in their lives going on that informs them they, that tells them little tidbits um little philosophical tidbits um, that inform their own decisions um, as far as the accords go. And I love that. Uh, I, I just, I love this line. It actually um, originally comes from the comic books in the Civil War story in the comic books. And this quote actually comes from Steve Rogers himself. And he's talking to... Peter Parker, um, well, he's talking to Spider-Man, and this is the speech that he gives Spider-Man as to um, the superhero act or whatever um, in the Civil War comics. So I, I like that callback to that, um, but I really do agree with this speech. Um, just because the whole crowd goes along with something, for probably good reason it doesn't mean that that is true it doesn't mean that that is right and so i just love that quote now on to my just general list of likes of this movie first of all spider-man come on uh, i love spider-man he looks great in this movie he is actually a teenager here um, this is the youngest actor portrayed for Peter Parker, um, they got Tom Holland. He's my age. At the time of Civil War coming out, he was 20 years old, I think. So, um, 1920. And so, you could easily see that he's just coming out of adolescence. And so, it's believable that this guy could be a teenager. Whereas, I think Tobey Maguire was in his 30s. And Andrew Garfield was in his late 20s, and I think they did a good job with casting Tom Holland here. Um, he is fantastic as Spider-Man. Can't wait to get into Far From Home, No Way Home, any other future movie that he's in uh, from this point forward. It's fantastic, and I love his entrance. Uh, I, I mentioned it before, but like, I love how Tony Stark calls him underoos um, in the scene, and uh, I... His entrance could not be more perfect for me. Um, 
He grabs Cap's shield, and Cap is stunned, but not surprised, I guess. Um, I mean, he's surprised to see someone new, but he's not surprised that someone just stole his shield. Um, I love Spider-Man's entrance here. It was awesome. Uh, again, I love the airport fight. It was awesome. Uh, you get to see... Um, I love especially the moment where... They're all, like, both the entirety of Team Cap and the entirety of Team Iron Man are facing each other. And then they start fighting each other. You you see the, the pairings that they make are fantastic. Because you've got Steve versus Tony, the main two. Then you've got Black Widow versus Hawkeye. Um, and in the middle of it, you see Black Widow's asking, we're going to still be friends, right? And I love that. You got Bucky versus Black Panther um, with Black Panther's vendetta against Bucky there. You have Vision versus Wanda, um, which I kind of feel bad for the two. And then you got Ant-Man versus (laughs) Spider-Man. I love that. It's a bug fight there. Uh, I love it. And then finally, you have Falcon versus War Machine there. Uh, and I think that's a perfect pairing too, because you got like the two sidekicks fighting each other, but there's also like it kind of calls back to the moment where the whole crew is debating the accords in the first place, and Sam and Rhodes are just going back and forth debating um, the merits of it, and I like it. Uh, I like that there's that moment. There's a very small, less than half a second moment where you see that Hawkeye actually shoots a exploding arrow into iron man's armor and it explodes i love that um in this whole airport fight scene you just you get to see them all at full force fighting each other that you see that they're actually kind of equal matches for each other um and this is actually kind of spider-man ant-man and black panther's introduction into being avengers and i love this scene for that the next thing I loved about this movie is, for my favorite scene, it's the final fight. I love that it's now personal, especially for Tony. Um, but it's also personal for Cap because Tony's fighting his best friend, who honestly is innocent of everything that happened because he was brainwashed. And Tony is blinded by his once for revenge towards Bucky that he can't separate the fact that Bucky was brain dead or brainwashed at the time of these murders um, and Bucky himself but uh, so the real enemy here is Hydra but all Tony sees is the guy who killed his parents and so I love that it's personal for both of them uh this is the best, in my opinion, outside of Infinity War and Endgame, this is the best fight scene in the entire MCU, hands down. I love it. They call back to it in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, I'll get into that on that episode. But man, it is a great fight scene. Um, I think the Russo brothers directed this film. I just Googled to check myself. They did. Um, yeah, so the Russo brothers did a great job with this honestly they need i wish they would have kept the russo brothers for the mcu ah i miss them so much they do such great work on this stuff 
They also directed Arrested Development and, well, a few episodes there, and also a few episodes of Community, so check those things out, too. But, um, yeah, just this final fight scene is awesome. You get to see uh, Cap and Tony fight it out for real. Um, Yeah. Uh, I mentioned earlier that you get to see little tidbits that inform Tony and Steve of their decisions in signing the accord or not um, there with Tony. You have his convo conversation with um, this mom after his speech at MIT. And uh, she tells him that her son died in Sokovia. Um, and that helps convince him that they need to be che- kept in check. Also, um, something that Peter Parker tells him when he's in his bedroom with him, he says that when you can do the things that I can do and you don't do it and bad things happen, those bad things happen because of you. And that is very much reasoning for signing the Accords. Um, It's very much a, I would have guilt because of this kind of thing. Um, For Steve, um, the one thing that I saw was um, that speech that I um, gave you a soundbite of earlier um, that is also taken from the comics, that informs his decision because he feels that he's in the right and um, just because someone else or the whole crowd says something is something wrong should be something right, that doesn't change the fact that it's wrong. Democracy does not determine morals. The next thing that I loved was the opening fight scene. It was awesome. Uh, I loved that Steve's intuition told him to check out that garbage truck. And that really led him to what was truly going on. Um, In that Sam could... Sam really easily picked up on what was going on there too. Um, And so... He was wise in that, too. Uh, I just love this whole sequence. Um, You see Black Widow doing her thing. It is awesome. Uh, It's kind of interesting seeing her in an action sequence where she's not wearing her regular Black Widow outfit. Um, It's really interesting. Uh, It was cool seeing Wanda in training. um, And uh, actually, this moment here where Crossbones dies kind of calls back it's a nod to the comics where um actually captain america in the comics steve rogers dies in the civil war conflict and it is um in this moment that the explosion happens that he dies but uh they kind of avoided that um for the sake of the mcu and i love that they did that um that would have been for me see as a big captain america fan i would have hated for them to kill him off here because it just it wouldn't have felt right especially given what was happening forward in the mcu um from that point on but i i would have been disappointed with that honestly but i'm glad they did it the way they did i just loved this opening fight scene um now if 
you look into Wanda's room and you just look around in there when she's watching the news. I love that you see that she has a guitar and music stand with music on it. I love that she's a musician. Uh, as a musician myself, I really appreciated that. And uh, I liked the the shape of the hole in her guitar. I don't know what those are called. I'm not very informed on guitar terms. Um, but I I like the guitar. It looked pretty cool. Um I loved the villain of Zemo. He is definitely one of the stronger villains within the MCU. Uh, I like a good villain that knows that taking down a team means breaking them apart from within. And he knew how to do it. Uh, <laughs> well, I would I say he knew how to do it, but I think he was able to take advantage of the Accords because he knew that there were going to be some that were for and some that were against. And so he just wanted to bolster the conflict there. And he took advantage of that. And I love his genius. Um, and his vengeance does drive him, and we'll get into that later with the devotional piece. Um, but yeah, I just love Zemo. And I also loved that in the fight scene in Bucky's quote-unquote apartment, you see um, you got the German SWAT team coming in. And I love the moment where Bucky uses the battering rod to beat up some of the guys. Uh, you could really see the impact that it takes on them. Like, that thing's heavy, dude. That could kill a man, but he just decides to knock him out. He... He even tells Steve beforehand that he's not going to kill anybody. And you see that he's really just trying to get away um, because he really is innocent of the matter at hand. Um, speaking of that scene, you see later on Black Panther enters along with Falcon. And in that tunnel in traffic, you see Falcon's flying. And there's a moment where Black Panther just comes and claws up at Falcon. I, I love that. You just get like this cat clawing at a bird kind of thing. Uh, I love that there. And it kind of feeds into later on that line where Sam's like, so a guy shows up dressed up as a cat and you don't have questions? Like, <laughs> of course a guy dressed up as a bird would have questions about a guy dressed up as a cat. So... I mean, that makes sense, and I, I just love the humor in just that analogy there, I guess. Um, later on, you see that Tony, not Tony, Bucky first complies to Zemo, um, and he's escaping. And I love that moment where Tony turns his watch into an iron glove. I love that. That is a great gadget. That is awesome. Um, and you kind of see a sort of callback to Iron Man 3 where he's able to, like, fight on his own without the whole suit. And I just love that moment. Uh, man, one of my all-time favorite moments in the MCU is the fight at the airport where it's just Spider-Man versus Captain America. First of all, let me just say, Duh, Captain America is my absolute favorite Marvel hero, my favorite Marvel character. But second to him is Peter Parker, Spider-Man. And I love that you see this moment. 
um, where actually Captain America and Spider-Man actually come to bond because they both real realize that the other's from New York. And uh, you can tell that um, Peter has some level of admiration for Steve, although he does still admire Tony more. And he's really trying to impress, impress Tony because he still does want to be an Avenger. Um, but I love this moment. Uh, you see that um, Peter's learning from Tony as to what Steve's weaknesses are in battle. And uh, you get to really see Steve's smarts in adapting to uh, Spider-Man's abilities. And yeah, I love the moment where uh, Steve's like, I'm from Brooklyn, and Peter's like, I'm from Queens. Um, and they really bond from that. And uh, I love the moment where uh, Steve smiles at him and just walks away. I, that is a fantastic moment. I love that. My two favorite Marvel characters together is awesome for me. Um,. The next moment that I really love is <laughs> later on in this fight. It's toward the end of the airport fight scene. And uh, Falcon uses Red Wing to just straight up uh, hit Tony in his Iron Man suit in the face. Uh, I love the wit there. It really just discombobulates Tony. Um, and it's a really safe way, a safe way to uh, diverge his attention away from you, at least temporarily get him off your trail um i love that moment now the last thing that i wanted to mention that i love about this movie is um when tony is in his helicopter at the end of the movie right before he heads to siberia in the way he changes into his suit in the helicopter he just presses his finger in that is awesome i i feel like elon musk would want to do something like that <laughs> that feels like something Elon Musk would strive to do. And I I just love this because it's just a great suit change. Um, it felt to me like how the crowd might have felt initially in seeing Iron Man 3 where he brings out the briefcase suit. Um, and I just, oh, man, such a great change. Uh, and I love that Tony's change of heart here too. Uh, he admits his mistakes at the end, and uh, and Sam's Sam, being the good man that he is, decides to tell Tony where Steve went um, because he did admit his wrong, um, and he showed him that he was wrong, and uh, he apologized. Um, so yeah, the the suit change here was awesome. Now, I love this movie so much that I thought that I should just give some general thoughts on the film. Uh, first of all, there's a fun fact. Both Tony and Steve know French. Um, we learn about this from Tony in Iron Man 2 when he's going to see Vankov in his prison cell in Morocco. And uh, he speaks French to the warden. Um, and then with Steve, we see this in The Winter Soldier. Again, the second of his trilogy. Interesting. Um, where he's getting ready to fight. To He is fighting Batrock. And uh, Batrock speaks to him in French. And he responds in French. 
And I talked about that. I think I talked about the, both of those actually in those respective episodes. Um, so that's cool. I think here in, uh, right as Tony is learning of his parents' death and the circumstances surrounding it, that his response is very childlike. And he exhibits in this fight scene an Iron Man version of Hulk rage because um, he just goes all out. Uh, he does not hold back in his rage. This is the most angry we see Tony in all of the MCU. Um, so, yeah. But who are the original Avengers that are missing here? Thor and Bruce Banner. We're missing Thor and the Hulk. And my thoughts here are, um, if they were both there, I think that Banner would have sided with Tony and Thor would have sided with Steve. Um, Banner, throughout the MCU, he definitely does feel guilty for all the destruction he brings as the Hulk. And that's exactly why he wants to get rid of the Hulk, right? Um, and so... I think he would be for signing the accords because he would want to be able to be check, be kept in check. Um, he would be all for it, I think. But Thor would sign with Steve because um, he just feels that... I think he would feel the same as Steve, that um, they're making the world a better place. They're protecting the realm. And also, I don't think Thor would really much care for world governments. Um, he doesn't really care to even be king of Asgard at this point, I don't think. But also, yeah, he, he actually turned on the throne in the Dark World. And so being from Asgard, he feels like he shouldn't be subject to the governments of Earth. Um, he would probably see how um, agenda-driven they are, as Tony point, or Steve points out. And he, he would side with Steve. Uh, so that's my theory, anyway. Um, I want to know what your thoughts are on the matter. I, I think that's a pretty cool debate to have, even though it's not really consequential at this point. But it'd be really interesting to hear other people's takes on this. Now, one thing that I want to point out here. Um, this is the last time, until Endgame, that we see Steve Rogers with his shield. Um, and I'll talk about this moment later on so yeah um also with vision i find him pretty interesting as a character within this film uh this is honestly actually the only film where he is alive for the entirety of the film if you really think about it um he's introduced in age of ultron shows up in civil war dies in infinity war never comes back um and so Halfway through Age of Ultron, he comes in, he's created, um, and then he doesn't even survive the entirety of Infinity War. So this is the only movie that we see Vision who lives the entire time. Um, that's one thing that I want to point out. But also, um, I admire Vision as well. He is shown to be worthy of wielding Mjolnir. And um, now they do debate this at the end of Age of Ultron. Um, he's an AI. He's an android. 
Um, and so is he even qualified for the worthiness clause um, there? Um, but I, I think he is. Um, and so that is also partly why, and I think the whole time I knew that Steve would be worthy of wielding Mjolnir too. Uh, but um, this is why I'm so conflicted with Vision because it, on one hand, like I feel like he would honestly philosophically side with Steve, um, but he doesn't seem to get past the point of um, we need to be kept in check because we incite challenge. Um, but honestly, if you really think about it, he is partly created by Banner and Tony. So it perfect it's it makes perfect sense that he would side with Sony with Tony in signing the accords. So I, I thought that facet was really interesting. Something I noticed earlier today when watching this movie, there are two characters that you wouldn't necessarily might compare together, but I noticed that they have something in common, and that is Charlie Spencer's mother that talks to Tony after his MIT speech and Zemo. Now, they both have a vendetta. Not necessarily a vendetta. Um, they both um, have their qualms with Tony Stark uh, because of what happened in Sokovia. Um, Zemo lost his whole family and Charlie Spencer's mom lost her son. Charlie Spencer, and so what they can't seem to figure out is that Ultron was a mistake from Tony that they were that Tony and the Avengers were trying to correct. Um, they think that well, they might think that yeah, he made a mistake, but he should pay for this mistake, um, which yeah, he should. But um, they shouldn't have taken that vengeance up upon themselves. Um, they can't seem to separate um, the mistake from the person. Um, they can't seem to see redemption for Tony. Um, they don't see any reconciliation for him. Uh, they think that he is his mistakes uh, and therefore they have their grievances with Tony. They have their disdain for Tony. And um, I think it's all too often that there are those of us who treat others like that. Um, when we are mistreated by people that we can't seem to see beyond that mistreatment. Uh, we see the, that person in the light of that mistreatment. And these people are so much more than that. Uh, we We can't just let our experience of other people inform our entire opinion about that person. Uh, we don't know the entire circumstances of what other people are going through. People could be having a bad day and they just treat you badly. Um, and so that's why we should extend grace there. Um, so yeah, that's all I have to say about that. The next thing that I'd like to comment on, um, is that Wanda is very conflicted with the Accords here. Um, we see that at the beginning of this film, she is greatly, um, greatly grieved 
by her mistake in Lagos by um, accidentally having this explosion kill people in a bunch of a bunch of people in this building, um, and she causes some collateral damage, and she's greatly distraught by this. Um, I think if this hadn't happened, she would have easily sided with Steve. I feel like she is philosophically on Steve's side. Um, now, for the majority of this film, she seems to be on Tony's side. Uh, but uh, she never actually does sign the Accords. Uh, first of all, she's not American, so she's not subject to American law, I guess you could say, outside of American soil. Um, but she's also a minor at this point, remember? But despite all this, I think that since she does, in the end, philosophically agree with Steve, and she learned that Tony was just holding her in internment, that she kind of, she didn't really have a disdain for Tony, but like, she didn't agree with what she he was doing with her, uh, to her, for her, whatever. Um, and so that made her definitely side with Steve there, and I enjoyed her conflict there, I, and Black Widow's conflict with the situation too. She's friends with Steve, but um, she's convinced that Tony's right about the situation. I mean, she sees the footage that Ross presented at the meeting, um, and so she just generally wants to do what's right, but in the end, um, she sees the flaws in Tony's arguments um, and decides to help Steve out. And honestly, she's just being a good friend to Steve, too. I, I love the moment after Peggy's funeral where it's just Steve in the church and Natasha comes up and talks to him. And she's just being a good friend to him. And I, I love this character. Not necessarily development. Well, I guess you could say it's character development. But I love this moment here with Steve and Nat, too. Theory time. Uh, I think that when Bucky is in his brainwashed state, uh, he gets reset when he is fully submerged in water. Um, we see that he is um, preserved when he's under ice. So I think that partially has something to do with it. Um, ice preserves his body and his brain, obviously. And so I think that when he is submerged underwater, he gets reset um now this could be argued because it's not really confirmed um or even completely denied uh i think the conflict that i have here is the moment at the end of winter soldier where he pulls steve out of the water and even in this movie he says i don't know why i pulled you out of the water um but uh we see that Sometime after this time when he's fully fully submerged underwater with this helicopter scene that he is um his brain is unwashed if you if you could say that but yeah I think uh his brain is reset not fully reset but like unwashed when he's completely submerged underwater um it might be super deep it might have to be super deep because he's a super soldier but yeah i think that's a thing something i also liked was um seeing that there were more winter soldiers from the past and i always thought that, that one winter soldier guy 
looked like Henry Cavill, and I I literally had to look it up to see did they did they hire Henry Cavill for this role role? Because uh, if so, that's kind of a waste. Because um, he doesn't even have a line or anything; he just shows up in this one movie and then he's gone. Uh, there's also another one of the Winter Soldiers there. That if you know the band Skillet, their lead singer's name is John Cooper. And he has dark hair um, and looks like he's built pretty strong. And so there's another one of those Winter Soldiers there that I think looks like he could be his blonde brother. Um, And if you've seen a picture of John Cooper, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about there. So I just had a thought there. Now, this movie here has the most unfair fight scene of the MCU. Uh, you have the Superman type person who has all of the abilities um, who can change his density to where he could go through walls or he could have the density of a black hole um, to where he could just barely tap the earth and there would be an earthquake or something. Um, he can fly. He has the mind stone in him. Really, like, he has so many great abilities. He could shoot lasers out of his head. Um, you have this guy who is super strong, too. Um, uh, you have Vision. Uh, that's who I've just been describing. But then you have Hawkeye. Like, I get he's good with a bone arrow, but, like, he's also good hand-to-hand combat. But, um... This is honestly the most unfair fight of the MCU. And I love that they decided to give that contrast. Um, And I love how Clint walks in knowing this is totally going to be an unfair fight because they're definitely not on the same plane of battle competition. Uh, They're like five weight classes away from each other, right? But I also love how they make up the difference here. And that's just by using the character Wanda. Um, You see later on, she falls in love with Vision. Um, She and Vision kind of get their powers both from the Mind Stone. Um, So they're connected in that way. But also, Clint is the one who inspired Wanda in Age of Ultron and eventually brought her into the Avengers. Um, And so... I think that they're pretty smart in that scene to do so. And I love um, how this displays just how awesome the brains of the Russo brothers are, that they're able to do some really good character analysis there in order to be able to recognize that this scene could be really good. Now, if you couldn't already tell um, by all the various context clues that I've given you, Um, I am Team Cap. I am Team Cap all the way here. I think he is completely right about the Accords. Um, But one thing I will say, though, is uh, the one thing that he did wrong with um, the either between the Accords or the Bucky situation is, um, and even he admits this to Tony in his letter, um, he should have told Tony that Hydra had his parents killed Um, because we see in the Winter Soldier that we have that article that shows up on the Zemo, not Zemo, the Zola screen um, in the bunker there 
at Camp Lehigh or Leahy, however you, however you pronounce it. Um, but uh, one thing that Steve should have done, yes, is told Tony that Hydra had his parents killed. And yes, he says that he didn't know it was Bucky that killed his parents. And I love that they wrote that in there, too, because it creates that nice tension for that fight scene at the end. Um, but yeah, he does have admit his wrong to Tony there um, in his letter there. He says, um, I guess by not telling you that I was sparing you, but I realize now that I was only sparing myself. And I love that Steve is also willing to admit his faults there. Um, but in terms of the Accords... I am Team Captain America all the way. Uh, he gives great arguments against the Accords. Um, he says that um, the document shifts the blame for any damage done. Anything that the governments of the world would send them out to do, any damage that would be caused there, um, that would be seen to be on the Avengers and not on the governments that sent them. Um, and he doesn't like that. He also says that um, they're surrendering their right to choose where to go and how to accomplish that. Um, and he's right about that too. Um, they surrender their right to choose where to go. He says that like, what if they send us to places where we don't think we should go? Or what if they don't allow us to go to places where we should be? Um, and he's exactly right um think about age of ultron for instance uh they would the world governments would see that tony did something wrong so they wouldn't allow the avengers to mop it up right um things would have gotten so much worse in age of ultron had the government being oversight over the avengers um he is exactly right in the last line of reasoning steve gives for being against the accords is that these accords were written by people with agendas, and their agendas will change. Um, to which Tony rebuts that that's a good thing, um, because he, he he argues that he changed his agenda because he saw uh, his weapons in the wrong hands. Um, but Steve argues back that the government is only going to use the Avengers to put forth their own agenda, and I I love that. Tony or Steve I keep getting those two mixed up today sorry that Steve sees that the governments have their own agenda and it's not good and I I completely side with Steve here on the Accords I uh I kind of would have been like Scott Lang that like I don't understand why I mean I could understand why Tony sides the way he does but he's not thinking philosophically right um, Tony's being much more of a um, blind realist here, whereas um, Steve is seeing things out of the broader scope of things. He's even looking at it from his own experience. Like, he was a soldier his entire life, basically. Back in the 40s, the government had good intentions with fighting the Nazis, fighting in World War II. Um, even in World War II, they were kind of trying to be an isolationist until they were forced not to, honestly. Um, 
which was sort of a good policy to have, um, given that the conflict wasn't their own. Um, but given that the Nazis um, brought America into the war by force, um, they fought. Um, but when Steve came back in 2012, he saw that the world was so different from what he expected it to be 70 years later. Um, and so he sees how corrupt the government has become um, over time. And uh, I, I just love that you see that coming out of Steve here. So yeah, I am 100% on Steve's side on the Accords. But one thing that I think is overlooked about this film, and this is my last thing of general thoughts about the film, is, um, and it's overlooked, Tony admits his fault to Steve about the Accords before his final fight. Um, well, not necessarily about the Accords. He admits his fault more so about Zemo. Um... Because before the airport fight, um, Steve is really trying to warn Tony of what's really going on with Zemo. And Tony's not going to have it. Uh, but then you see, um, first of all, that Tony admits to Sam in the prison, that uh, on the raft, that he was wrong and he saw the truth and he wants to make up for his wrong. Um, and so... He tells, uh, Sam tells him where to go, and then when they go, when Tony goes up there to Siberia, um, he admits his wrong to Steve, and so I, I like that, and then again, you have later on with the Stanley cameo, which I'm just about to touch up on, um, you have the letter that Steve wrote to Tony where he admitted his wrong there, and I talked about that earlier. Now... It's time for the Stanley cameo. I gave it a 9.2. Uh, it was my favorite cameo. Um, some would argue that the Age of Ultron cameo is better. I totally understand. I get it. It makes sense. But I, I just love the humor here. Um, I love that Rhodes builds off of the line that he gives. Um are you Tony Stank? Um, yeah, I love that Rhodes builds off of that line, um, and he gives his most humorous line in the MCU. And I, I just love it. Uh, this is a great Stanley cameo, my absolute favorite one. Uh, none of them beat it. So, yeah. Guys, we are an hour and like seven minutes into this thing, and I only just finished my thoughts on this movie <laughs> this is awesome uh but i think it's time to get to the devotional piece so um here we go it reads in captain america civil war the winter soldier aka bucky barnes aka steve rogers a lifelong best friend is framed by a guy by the name of zemo for exploding the united nations it is revealed that this action by Zemo was done for the purpose of watching the Avengers destroy themselves. The effects of this plan were enhanced by the division between Team Iron Man and Team Captain America over the Sokovia Accords. Team Iron Man was in support of global government oversight of Avengers operations, while Team Cap was against it. So, long story short, 
Team Cap is momentarily stopped by Team Iron Man in the name of the Accords on their way to find Zemo. A big fight ensues, and Rhodes gets seriously injured, planting a seed of vengeance in Tony's heart. Later, Tony's vengeance reaches its peak when Zemo reveals that Bucky, as the Winter Soldier, killed Tony's parents. It didn't help the situation that Steve reveals that he knew about Bucky killing his parents. This causes a brutal battle between Tony and the Super Soldier duo. This fight happened in great part because of the vengeance in Tony's heart. Vengeance is never a good thing. It finds its root in selfishness with the desire for control of the inaction of justice and is a response based entirely upon emotions. Emotions can be either good or bad and therefore is not dependable to use as a lens through which to enact justice. Emotions also derive from the heart, which Jeremiah says is deceitful, Jeremiah 17.9. Vengeance also blinds its host to the breaking apart of their relationships with others and even relationships outside of themselves. This is directly contrary to Jesus' command for us to love our neighbors as we do ourselves, Matthew 22.39. Jesus even calls us to love our enemies, Matthew 5.44. Tony was not the only one with vengeance in his heart. For the entirety of the film, Zemo was enacting his vengeance on the Avengers for the death of his family in Sokovia, referred to Avengers Age of Ultron. T'Challa, aka Black Panther, sought vengeance towards whoever killed his father with the UN explosion. He was the one who came to realize the impact that vengeance had on the world around him and let go of it. It is pretty well summarized in his own words. Vengeance has consumed you. It's consuming them. I'm done letting it consume me. Is vengeance consuming your heart? If so, how? What has it caused you to say and do? What is it causing you to want to say and or do? Will you genuinely apologize for these things? Will you choose instead to show them love despite what they have said or done and not reciprocate the hurt that they have caused you? Now, I know that I have told you countless times before in this podcast that scripture tells us that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And so I think I'm going to let that message sit with you there. Uh, you can refer back to those episodes. Um, I've mentioned it so many times in so many different episodes. I, I honestly, at this point, can't remember which episodes it's in. Um, but yeah, just refer back to those if you can. But uh, I love that there's Black Panther's character development there, T'Challa's character development there with Vengeance. I mentioned in here that Vengeance is based upon emotions here, and emotions change. And I tell in the devotional here too that that is why our striving for justice in any situation should not derive itself from our emotions. Uh, like Vengeance, it derives itself purely from our emotions, and Again, the heart is deceitful above all things, as Jeremiah tells us. Um, so let's not let our emotions guide us in life. Let's still, yes, use our emotions. But uh, before we let our emotions um, tell us what to do, step back, take a breather, um, look at things logically and with reason, and seek the Lord's wisdom, first of all, in all this. Um because our emotions can drive us to do the right thing. Our emotions can show us what the right thing is. 
but we shouldn't let our emotions drive us to bring forth the right thing to come about. Um, and we could use the emotions as a tool, but we shouldn't let it take hold of us. We shouldn't let our emotions take hold of us. Now, as for other biblical themes that present themselves here, uh, one comes from just overall Cap's character in this movie. Um, he's firmly standing in the truth, and it kind of derives from not just Cap's character here, but Sharon Carter's speech earlier that I gave you um, about standing firm like a tree and saying, no, you move. Again, I've said before, morality is not subject to democracy. It is not subject to our circumstances. Morality is firm. It stands. And it stays still. Uh, truth is the same way. It is firm. It stands. It stays still. It is planted like a tree that never moves. Um, some people think that it's like a rock that you can kick and it'll move somewhere else. But... Um, it's not that way. And so I love that Cap stands on the truth in this movie. Um, some verses on truth and how firm it is. One that I think best describes Cap in this movie is Ephesians 6.14. And it says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And this verse is coming from where Paul is talking about the armor of God. And I will get into that in detail in the Infinity War episode. Spoiler alert. So cool. Um, but I, I think that this very much describes Cap there. Um, he He's a soldier. And so he, in the Winter Soldier, you see that he says that if you're going to fight a war, you got to wear a uniform. And so he's doing so in a spiritual sense here. He's putting on the belt of truth, standing firm on that. He's putting on the breastplate of righteousness. And you could go on further into the discussion on the armor of God and how Steve may or may not um, do so here. But uh, yeah, this is yet another reason why I love Steve Rogers so much. Uh, because in a world where people think that truth wavers and moves, he believes that it stands still. And I've said before in this podcast that if truth moves, that if truth changes, then what doesn't change? Like, truth is the one thing that is firm, that everything else is built upon, um, logically speaking. So if truth is subjective then everything else is subjective, no matter what. But truth being objective forms the foundation for how we live our lives. Jesus in John 14, 6 tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth, not a truth. This is just a confirmation that truth is secure and firm. And lastly here, John eight thirty two says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Just because the truth stays still doesn't mean that you have to be confined to something. It means that you have a foundation, that you have something that you know that will not change. You can live secure in the fact that truth doesn't change. And therefore, you 
no longer have to live in fear of something changing because truth doesn't change. Um, it's actually kind of cool because it's like when you have a very trusted friend and you know that even despite having nothing, you have that friend. It's like when Steve says, even when I had nothing, I had Bucky. Um, that is true for him. It was true that Bucky was there for him at all times. Um, so it's like having that friend that you know will be there for you through thick and thin. Now, on the other side of that coin, if truth is subjective, if things do change, then it is logical to be living in a fear that if truth changes, what else will change in my life? Uh, what do I need to keep striving for? Uh, what do I need to um, think now as opposed to before? Um, and with truth being firm, that doesn't that shouldn't happen. Truth doesn't change with the times. Believing that truth is subjective is like Thor trusting in Loki. Like, at some point, it's going to bite you in the butt. But at the end of the day, it's going to change, and you can't do anything about it. And you have to adapt to it every time it changes. But because truth doesn't change, we can no longer, we don't have to live in the fear of when will it change? What will I have to believe now? Um, yeah, and so I love the fact that truth is firm and secure. And this fact shows us why we continually, as the church, believe to, that the 66 books of the Bible are always true yesterday, today, and forever. Because they are breathed out by God. And Jesus, being God, tells us that he is the truth. And um, therefore, his words are truth. Um, they are useful for teaching, rebuking, um, training in righteousness, as Paul tells us in 1 Timothy. And scripture even tells us that Christ is our firm foundation because he in his truth does not change. He is our firm foundation because he is truth. Now the next thing that I want to talk about with y'all here in this section is how what the Bible has to say about submitting ourselves to the governmental authorities. And that has a lot to do with what's going on in this film. Um, and Romans 13 talks a lot about this. Um, we've got, I mean, the whole conflict here, most of the conflict here is surrounding, should we submit to the governmental authorities? Should we not? Um, and so I'm going to read for you Romans 13 here. And um, then I'm just going to talk about it for a second. From the English Standard Version, it reads, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, you might say that you could use this to say, no matter what the circumstances, we should um, be obedient to the government. But let's look at what Paul says there at the end of that passage that I just read. You give respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. If the governmental authorities do not show you that they deserve honor and respect, then you, to the degree that they show you that they do not deserve it back, you should not give it to them back. Basically, don't just blindly follow what the government is telling you to do or their new laws or whatever. Like, honestly evaluate the mor morals and the merits of what the government is doing um, and then give them the due respect and honor that properly matches the morality of how they operate things and so on and so forth. Um, but also be praying for them. That's all we should do. That's all, well, most of what we can do. But also, we should be keeping in mind that one or two mistakes should not define them. Uh, it's very hard to navigate wisdom in this matter. Uh, just So just pray for the Lord's wisdom in how to handle governing authority and so on and so forth. Um, that's all we should do there anyway. So basically, in conclusion there, we should only honor and respect the governing authorities in relation to how they honor and respect the authority of God. So the next thing that I want to talk about comes from right after the UN bombing, and you have the conversation between Natasha and T'Challa, whose hero characters happen to have the color black in their name, so that's cool. But what T'Challa talks about here is that in his culture, death is not the end, more of a stepping off point. And I, I kind of love that because that sort of parallels to how we see life, right? As Christians, um, death is not the end for us. Once we die, we receive our eternal reward and glory to live with our creator, our friend, our savior, our God, who at all times has always wanted to be in relationship with us. So death is not the end for us all. Paul tells us in Philippians 1.21 that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, so yeah, that's all I have for you there. But the next thing that I want to talk about here is the line where Wanda is telling Vision that she can't control other people's fear, only her own. And I love that. Uh, we cannot overcome people's fear for them. Only they can do that through the power of Christ. Deuteronomy 31.6 tells us, To be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So in our fear, we do not have to be alone. And I find that it's a great comfort for myself that when I am fearful, I do not have to be alone in that. I could just take that fear to the Lord. There's a moment in the book of Second Kings 
where Elisha and his servant are being sought after by the king of Syria. And the servant is very being very fearful of the army that they're surrounded by. And Elisha is not. And Elisha prays for God to open his eyes. And then God opens the eyes of his servant and he sees the angel armies surrounding the army of Syria. And I will get more into that in the Endgame episode. Another flash forward, or another spoiler alert. But um, yeah, uh, I'll get more into that in that episode. But God comforts us in our fear. He knows what we need and he loves us. This next subject that I want to talk about comes from Steve's overall demeanor and Team Cap, honestly, through this film. They have resilience from resistance through the mission. Um, They try respectfully to um, let Tony and his team know what's going on. They ignore their pleas. Well, please, I say please, but they're not pleased. They ignore their warnings. of what's really going on. They're trying to explain what's going on to Tony, and he's just not having it, uh, possibly because of some pressure from Secretary Ross. But anyways, um, they they respectfully resist the resistance that they're getting. And so they're resilient and persistent in striving for succeeding in the mission that they're after. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about resilience uh, through talking about joy through all circumstances in life. He says to the church of Philippi that he knows how to endure all things through the joy of Christ, through having the joy of the Lord as his strength. Um, He says that he can endure not only just the highs, but the lows as well. He can endure being rich whatever he he's had such highs in his life that he's endured but had the joy of the lord but he's also endured such lows in his life that he has endured with the joy of the lord as well um he's been bitten by snakes shipwrecked um stoned he's received the 39 lashes five times and all this he has bared through it all Um, through the joy of the Lord, just for the sake of spreading the gospel. And so that's why I think that Paul's testimony is just so powerful, because we can all look up to that. Again, we imitate him as he imitates Christ. And this last biblical theme that I would want to talk about here comes from the moment uh, where I described before, where at the end of the big fight, at the end of the movie, uh, Tony tells Steve, My father made that shield. You don't deserve it. And Steve stops and says, okay, fine. You you see the demeanor on his face that's like, okay, fine. And he drops the shield. And then he carries Bucky away. And I love that Steve chooses to honor not just his friendship with Bucky through fighting for the truth of what Bucky's been through, but also for honoring his friendship with Stark. With Tony. Um, not only does he honor his friendship with Tony in that moment, he honors his friendship with Howard in that moment as well. And so I think this is part of what makes Steve an honorable and good man, as Dr. Erskine in the first Avenger describes him. 
We see this kind of thing happen in the book of First Samuel as well, or Second Samuel, I think. Second Samuel, because yeah, it's after Saul's death, King Saul's death, and uh, after this whole conflict, of course, Jonathan, David's best friend, also died in the same battle as his father Saul. So David wants to honor um, his friendship with Jonathan, and so he invites um, Jonathan's son over to be able to eat meals with him every day. And so in that way, he honors his friendship with Jonathan, and he honors um, Jonathan's son in that way. Jonathan's son's name was Mephibosheth, so say that five times fast, right? And uh, the story of David honoring Mephibosheth can be found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So I encourage you to go and read that for yourself. So I think that does it for Captain America Civil War. Um, What an adventure it's been. This is definitely a long episode, but I love that. Um, If you would like to join the Discord again to be able to talk about uh, God, life, prayer requests, Marvel... DC even, um, nerd stuff, God stuff, everything in between, just feel free to hit me up at mcudevos at gmail.com, that is m-c-u-d-e-v, as in vulture, o-s, at gmail.com, and I will send you the invite link where we can talk, and I am continuing to love She-Hulk, uh, can't wait for next week's episode, um, can't wait for Wakanda forever. Uh, I mentioned that before. So yeah, that does it for Captain America Civil War. We'll see you next time when we talk about Spider-Man Homecoming on Oh How Marvelous.